The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org thrive. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Support for this show comes from the National Wellness Institute, committed to providing the tools, trainings, and resources to propel your career in wellness. Become a member today at nationalwellness.org. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today, Daniel J. Siegel, is a clinical professor of psychiatry at the UCLA School of Medicine and the founding co-director of the Mindful Awareness Research Center, also at UCLA. An award-winning author and educator, he is the executive director of the MindSight Institute, an educational organization offering online learning and in-person seminars focusing on how the development of MindSight in individuals, families, and communities can be enhanced by examining the interface of human relationships and basic biological processes. His newest book, Aware, the Science and Practice of Presence, is reviewed in the September-October issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Dr. Siegel, welcome to Essential Conversations. Rabbi Rami, great to be here with you. Well, it's nice to have you back. You and I had a conversation in November of 2016. So I want to pick up where I left off. No. Yeah. <laughs> nice and, to be uh, back. With yeah, you. nice to be back. As you remember last time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, you were just saying, Robert. Yeah, right. I was just saying when we were so rudely interrupted by a year and a half. You know, this, this new book, uh, uh, Aware, is really rich with all this material, and yet it's also very practical. So, you know, we only have 20 minutes, and I, there's a lot of issues I want to get to. I'm going to try to focus on four things, and as you hear them, you may say to yourself, oh my God, we're never going to do this in 20 minutes, and we may not. But here's, here's what I want to talk about. I mean, the nature of consciousness, we should be able to knock that off in five minutes. The, yeah, easy, right? The wheel of awareness, which is something that's really the heart of this book, and I want you to explain to our listeners. The power of presence and the plane of possibility. So I'll just give you a heads up uh, what, I, what I'd like to, you know, to get some explication uh, regarding those things. Let's start with the nature of consciousness. How do you understand the term? Yeah, well, it's a great question. Of course, it's what people have been interested in, as far as we can tell forever, you know, in human uh, recorded history. Who are we and how do we know we're aware of knowing things? And how can we be aware of questions like who are we? 
So consciousness can be described very simply as the subjective experience of knowing and that which is known. So the word consciousness invites us to consider that we do have something that's very real called subjective experience, sometimes called first person experience. And that within that first person direct experience we have, there is a felt texture to the experience of being alive, what you would call subjective experience. But how do you know you have that subjective experience is something beyond the experience itself. It's something you can simply call being aware. So awareness is the knowing of consciousness and that which you're aware of, the knowns, include a range of things like the sound, you're hearing the sound of my voice. So if I say, hello, Rami, then did you know I said hello? Sure, sure. Yeah, so you have both the hello and you have the awareness of hello. And those are two distinct parts of, I think, what usually people mean when they say consciousness. So it, it sounded like, just from what you just said, that there's something even... I don't know if behind is the right word, but behind consciousness that we might call awareness. Is that fair or am I? Yeah, no, I think it's a part of consciousness. You know, when you look, uh, when you look at in, in an intriguing way at the science of consciousness, as well as the practices that are in the spiritual traditions of contemplation to explore and expand consciousness, um, for me, as a as a scientist and clinician and educator and just person on the planet, it just became really fascinating to start with the premise that there might be a deep relationship between the experience of being aware and that which you are aware of, kind of the knowns, it's what you're aware of, and the knowing. And that's basically where the wheel of awareness came from, the idea that you could do something which is called integration, where you're differentiating parts of something like, you know, your relationship with another person, you could differentiate, but then link it to each other in compassionate, respectful communication. I always wondered, well, if integration is the core mechanism of well-being, and this really starts getting to your second question, the wheel of awareness, you know, what would happen if you took integration as the base of health and consciousness appears to be necessary for intentional change, like in a family or, you know, in a classroom or in psychotherapy or just in your personal life, you know, consciousness is essential in many ways to make intentional changes in growth. So I thought, what if you integrated consciousness? And that was basically where the wheel was born around a table with a central hub and an outer rim and the hub is a glass hub in our in our table here. And no one wanted to call it a table of awareness. So we call it a wheel of awareness where you put the knowing in visually as a metaphor in the hub of this wheel and the knowns on the rim. And then systematically differentiate and link them with a metaphoric spoke of attention. And that's where the wheel came from, the idea of integrating consciousness. So it's sort of a map on, uh, as to how we experience consciousness, maybe. Absolutely. It's a map. And like any map, you know, it serves its usefulness only if we acknowledge its limitations. It, it can guide us somewhere, you know, like going to um, a park uh, that you need to get to, like Yosemite Park. 
Um, but then when you get to Yosemite, you should put the map in your pocket. You've gotten there and now explore the actual park. So the wheel of awareness is a map in just the same way. And it helps guide you to differentiate the various elements of the rim, which is really useful. And then to differentiate those from the hub itself, the hub of knowing, and to even explore by bending the spoke around the nature of pure awareness. And, you know, I did this systematically with my patients and they seem to get over depression, anxiety, fears, traumatic sequelae, different things really improved. So I taught it to my students who are therapists and they found it in their own personal lives really helpful. They started doing it with their clients. They started getting better. So then I had the courage to say, okay, well, you know, what if I started teaching this in workshops, you know, to people who weren't my patients, but or my students who are therapists, just to people who wanted to come to workshop. And then they started finding a lot of positive experience from it. So as a scientist, I just thought, well, I'll take a recorder. I'm doing these workshops. I'll do them in a systematic way, the wheel of awareness, and I'll record it. And I did it with 10,000 people and then recorded when the people were open to trying to put words to this very non-worded experience. So I recorded those results. And that's basically where the data of the 10,000 person study came from. And then tried to ask the question, why were the responses so similar? Everyone's different, of course, but there was a deep commonality among the experiences people had, no matter their background, their religion, their meditation history, their age, their education, their profession, their gender. It, it didn't matter. It was very similar. Everyone's different, but there were these common descriptions that we could talk about that led to some really interesting windows into the nature of consciousness itself. And in many ways, the way you're asking it, Rami, like what is beneath the experience of being conscious? Yeah, so let, let me let me explore that a little more with you. If, if people, I mean, that's what one of the things that was so intriguing about the study was you had all these thousands of people and they were having these similar experiences. And as I'm reading the book, I kept thinking that it reminded me, in a sense, of of the teachings of Ramana Maharshi, Nisargadatta Maharaj, these these Indian teachers who were saying that, unlike much of Western science, that that consciousness is not emergent. You know, it doesn't come out of the brain, but rather is the primal. Well, you can't say substance, but the primal reality. I don't know. The wording is always vague. But you that's the reason. It's a big word like stuff. <laughs> stuff. There you go. The stuff of reality. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. The stuff of reality, and that if, if people are having similar experiences, and now I'm asking you, do you get? This is my sense from reading the book that that people are having similar experiences because there's only one, you know, I or or one uh, pure awareness state, and we're all part of that. Is that does that make any sense? I mean, you know, Ramana calls it the I I, the Hebrew Bible calls it in Hebrew, ehia, or the eyeing, uh, out of which everything comes. So I'm wondering if you have a sense of that, or this is all just way off in left field. Uh, no, I think it's, I, I don't want to say center field, but I would say it's like, you know, uh, home base, <laughs> maybe. Um, well, Rami, it's so interesting because, you know, uh, just to give a very brief personal statement, you know, I have no background in training in religion or, you know, formal spiritual practices or whatever. And so people who do have that knowledge and that scholarship or, or their own personal um, 
training, um, you know, will hear about the stuff we're talking about and say, oh, that's similar to this um, system I'm in or this system I read about. And 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 I've, I've gotten a lot, a lot, a lot of that. And it's interesting because, you know, I don't have any background in that. I'm really open to it. I'm fascinated with it. I used to do work with a Catholic priest who was also an Irish mystic named John O'Donohue, or we pronounce it in America, John O'Donohue. And, uh, you know, and I was fascinated with the overlaps there too. So what I'll say is this, is that as a non-trained person in those traditions, I come from a very um, open and curious, very neutral, spacious place. And as a scientist, the real scientific stance one can take is, you know, that we live in a body and we know very little and we have to be very humble about what we do know. And when once we put things into words, it starts limiting our understanding. And at the same time, we can come up with empirical studies that are based on theoretical frameworks that are usually embedded in either, you know, numerical equations or words we use that are based on concepts so that we can actually test things out. So one of those fields of empirical knowledge is called mathematics, and its relationship to the reality is really expressed in a field called physics. And so we now know that, you know, we have two, if you will, realms of uh, physics properties that uh, you can see, even if you read the um, Scientific American, the cover story is all about where the Newtonian classical physics realm meets the quantum realm. And so this is straightforward physics we're about to talk about. And why turn to physics and not stage us with brain science? Well, for me, the mind is an emergent phenomena of energy flow. And the brain and the head, which Hippocrates said 2,500 years ago, was the sole source, not S-O-U-L, but S-O-L-E, the sole source of the mind, and William James in 1890 just reaffirmed that with the principles of a psychology, I think that's part of a very important story, which is much larger, that the, the mind is broader than the brain and the self coming from the mind is actually bigger than the body. And how could that be? Well, when you look at energy flow, you realize skull nor skin is a barrier for it. And once you start thinking in these terms as a scientist, then the natural next step, if you have data from a 10,000 person study, is to say, could you correlate in a logical scientific way the first person reported experiences of mental life doing the wheel of awareness with a scientific view of energy? And then what happens is, you, you know, I had the chance to spend a week with about 150 physicists and mathematicians, mostly quantum physicists. And, you know, I said, what is energy? And they said a lot of different things. But one of the core things they said was energy in all its different manifestations, electrical, chemical, you know, mechanical, uh, sound energy, light energy. Energy is the movement from possibility to actuality. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, 
a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org thrive. And this statement from these physicists blew my mind wide open because I'd never really heard that before. You always hear energy is the ability to do work, which is a Newtonian view. But at the microstate level, this smaller level of seeing energy in this deepest essence, the movement from possibility to actuality, I then was able to map that out on a graph that you know you have in the aware book. And we can talk about that because it relates, to, I think, to your third or fourth question, you know, the idea of the plane of possibility. You know, when you graph this out, you can see basically that energy has a probability distribution curve, some people call it that goes between 100% at the top of, let's say, a vertically distributed axis, a y-axis, the top is 100%, and the bottom is called near zero. So if I had a word in my mind, Rami and you were trying to know it, and let's say we shared a million words together, well, you'd have a one in a million chance of knowing the word. And let's say I then say the word ocean, and then it goes from that one in a million place, which is why we say near zero, at the lowest degree, up to an actuality where now, you know, I said ocean. And you can map this whole thing out where if I were just going to say one of the five oceans in the world, it wouldn't be all the way down at the bottom point. It would be like one out of five, not one out of a million. And at that one out of a five place, you can call that a plateau of enhanced probability. So is that a, let me, let me just jump in here. In not, not limiting it to your thinking of a number from one to a million, and I've got to guess it, but if, if energy is the primal thing and energy is the movement from possibility to actuality, is there a mechanism of will involved? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, now you, you get the feeling of how exciting this is because here's the proposal, exactly like you're saying, that mind is emerging from energy flow and mind also as what you know, I've written about is as a self-organizing regulatory process of energy is in fact able to shape the unfolding of energy. Now, on the one hand, we can say that gets you to speak, sure. But at another level, we can say that helps you move the position along this probability distribution curve so that sometimes where the mind is at is at the lowest level, and if you draw an x-axis for change, that would be going left to right, and even in and out of the plane of a paper we were drawing, we drew the z-axis with the diversity of things, you'd have a three-dimensional shape. So the lowest probability, which is actually the highest uncertainty, is called a plane of possibility. And what you can infer from that is that the position along the probability distribution curve could be in the plane, It can be higher up in plateaus where you're constraining what can arise. So like one out of five, just as that's just an analogy, but one out of five oceans that you're going to name. And then once you name the singular thing, it turns into an actuality. That's let's call a peak. So what I think the mind is, is this probability distribution curve. And when you look at the 10,000 person study and find that when people bend the spoke around and explore pure hub experience that is pure awareness 
they talk the, about the following things once they say, oh, it's so hard to put into words. I can't really describe it. You say, please try, please try. Then they say the following kinds of things all around the planet. This is what's said. It was incredibly peaceful. It was empty yet full. It was God. It was love. I felt unbelievably connected. Time disappeared. I felt this sense of infinity, eternity. You know, all these things that are described over and over again, where sometimes my students who come with me to different workshops, they say, no one's going to believe how similar this workshop was, that workshop, that workshop. I said, yeah, but I'm recording it all. They can just listen and, and you can hear it. And what's fascinating about that, because I do the Wheel of Awareness as my daily practice, is I think what's going on here is that the subjective experience of knowing the hub. That experience of being aware is when energy has moved from these peaks and these plateaus into the plane of possibility. And the guess, which could be completely wrong, but we're just putting it out here as a, a hypothesis that can then be studied, and certainly we can work with it in our individual lives, that the plane of possibility, which in quantum physics terms would correlate with what's called the sea of potential by some or the quantum vacuum. It's the formless source of all form. It's the generator of diversity. And so arising from that are all potential actualities as they go through, I think, this spectrum of various probabilities into actuality. So for the mind, what that would mean is a thought would be a peak an emotion, a peak, a memory, a peak, but remembering, emoting, and thinking would be just beneath the peak. And then a particular mood or intention or state of mind would be a plateau. And those plateaus can serve as filters of consciousness that determine the things that we can become aware of. But then when you drop the energy down from these plateaus or peaks and into the plane where some physicists would say, be sure to state that when you're in the plane of possibility, it's no longer energy. It's just pure possibility. So you'll see some of the wording in the book Aware, which goes through this step by step, can feel a little clunky because I say the probability position of the mind at that moment is in the plane because you can't say energy is in the plane. It's where energy comes from. That's just a technical detail. But the bottom line is, there are several implications of this that we can explore, but let's just leave it at that for now, Rami, and see how that feels for you. Yeah, and and I'm sure that some of this, I, I, it gets a little complicated. It's it's more easy to read it in the book. You've got diagrams, you've got you know ways to to visualize this, and you go into the practice of the wheel. We are almost out of time, but I, there, there's another aspect to this that I wanted you to speak to, which brings it to the most practical level. It's your acronym, uh, COAL, C-O-A-L, curiosity, openness, acceptance, and love. What what I hear you describing is what I, I hear uh, mystics describe in almost you know any tradition. And in the Buddhism, for example, you know, they link prajna wisdom with karuna compassion. And here it seems to me you're doing the same thing. You're obviously different languaging. So, so tell, tell us, and we'll end with this, tell us uh, how it, it shifts, this experience leads us to 
curiosity, openness, acceptance, and love. Yeah. Wow. Um, you know, when, when you do the wheel of awareness practice, um, and, you know, I could just share with you a practice yesterday morning for myself. Um, and, you know, you, you explore the different actualities, which are these points on the rim, different mood states you might be into, which again is a rim point. And then you get to the part of the practice. And when you do this every day, of course, you realize it's every day is different but it has a kind of structure to it. So you get a chance to do the, these essential pillars of mind training, you know, focused attention, open awareness and kind intention. But even before you get to the kind intention part of connectivity, the fourth segment of the rim, and just explore the hub itself, this practice gives you the opportunity. Yesterday was a good example where when you drop out of your plateaus and peaks and into this pure plane of possibility, this hub, what the experiences is just this kind of giggling, hilarious, curious, open, I don't know, this state of feeling like you're embracing everything, even across time, because actually at the quantum level, there's no arrow of time at this deep plane of possibility place. And time kind of disappears. And then the love that emerges, that's the curiosity, openness and acceptance, so to get to the L that you're asking about, it, I don't even know how to put words to it. It's like you just feel that this moment that you can be in this state of awareness, this incredibly powerful state of presence. I think you asked about the power of presence. You know, you just sense the world, you know, living beings, the other human beings. You know, and you just feel this incredible sense of like respect and gratitude. And it, it makes you want to cry because it's like this incredible feeling like, whoa, like in this segment of space time, you know, you are here and what a miracle to be here. And so all that, I, the word love is just, you know, not just myself, but what people who experience the wheel of awareness practice will say, you know, and whether they're, you know, you know, longtime meditators or they've never meditated before or they're government officials or, you know, software engineers, you know, the, I think that plane of possibility is the source of love. And even if you look at the neural correlates of this, Rami, I mean, there's massive integration of the brain in pure awareness and there's massive integration in the brain in pure love and there's ways of, I talk about in the book with the sciences of that, but why would that be the plane of possibility? Because anything that's possible rests there. So you have this massive differentiation of all the potential forms, but in their formlessness, they're all linked to each other. So it's probably the hugest state of integration from a physics point of view and integration made visible is love. It's kindness, it's compassion. And the more we can cultivate this state of presence, I think the more loving our world will become. Excellent way to end. Wow. I mean, that's, I, I, I think I know what you're talking about. I've, I think I've had experiences similar to that. And, and while it's true, there's no time in the quantum realm. Time is dominant here in the, in the analog world of podcast, <laughs> in the, right, the Newtonian world of plot, podcast reality. Someone once did this workshop, you know, and she said, hey, come to England. I live next to Sir Isaac Newton's house. 
And so we did, I went there and we did the wheel of awareness around the apple tree where Sir Isaac Newton figured out gravity. And we had to pay respect to him because the Newtonian level is true and real. And there is an arrow of time. You break an egg open, you can't unbreak the egg. So what's beautiful about the moment we're at as a humanity is if this is an accurate depiction of the nature of consciousness, our job, just like we're doing in our discussion here, Rami, is to actually inspire each other to access this plane of possibility, you know, to, to be able to live from the plane of possibility, not always in it. So you, don't, you have to press on the brakes, you know, when you see a red light or you will become one with everything, you know, in the intersection. <laughs> you, you've got to do some plateau and peak stuff. It's all good. That's why the graph in the book is called the 3P graph. They're all good. Integrating a life means tapping into all these levels of where the mind can go but realizing how deeply interconnected we all are. Well, again, great place to end as well, that with this notion of interconnection, love, and, and the fact that the book brings this out from a scientific basis, not just uh, my normal way of getting at it through the mystics, is also very satisfying, very gratifying. Our guest today, our guest today uh, was Daniel J. Siegel, you can read a review of his newest book, Aware, The Science and Practice of Presence, in the September-October issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. For more information about his work and his other books, you can visit MindSightInstitute.com. So, Daniel, thanks for being with us a second time on Essential Conversations. Thank you so much for having me, Rami. A pleasure anytime. Thanks. Support for this show comes from the National Wellness Institute, committed to providing the tools, training, and resources to propel your career in wellness. Become a member today at nationalwellness.org. Before we sign off, let me remind you that this year is the 20th anniversary of Spirituality and Health magazine. As part of our celebration, I'm leading an interspiritual tour of the Holy Land, this is part tour, part pilgrimage, as we engage in contemplative practices linked to the various sites we will visit, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, and Baha'i. For more information, please visit us at spiritualityhealth.com backslash holyland hyphen with hyphen Rami. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Please log in to spiritualityhealth.com to subscribe to the magazine in print or digital formats and to download the iTunes app for this podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a review. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker and our program coordinator and executive producer is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us, and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.